Words of wisdom, power, praise, and Paul. We have been on this journey for the last eight weeks, and I, this is a, we're wrapping up because we've been talking about Philippians. We spent, spent four weeks on that, and then we spent the last uh, these last four weeks on First Thessalonians, reminding you all that First Thessalonians is actually the first book is actually written in the New Testament. Apostle Paul wrote that probably around 50 A.D., and so very powerful message as he writes back to the church and. That's a Nikki. And so we've learned a lot. I hope that you've learned a lot. I've learned a lot over the last uh, eight weeks. And so I've really enjoyed um, learning a little bit more about the Apostle Paul. So uh, listen, we, uh, we're finishing up here. And so I, I want to read something. Um, uh, the last part of First Thessalonians, it comes from the fifth chapter. I have a chance to uh, preach and teach a little bit, and I hope that maybe we can all learn something new. So here are these words from the 12th verse of the 5th chapter of 1 Thessalonians. Brothers and sisters, we ask you to respect those who are working with you, leading you, and instructing you. Think of them highly with love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are, well, disorderly. Comfort the discouraged. Help the weak. Be patient with each other. Make sure that no one repays the wrong with the wrong, but always pursues the good for each other and everyone else. Paul says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in every situation because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't suppress the spirit. Don't brush off the spirit-inspired messages, but examine everything carefully and hang on to what is good. Avoid every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace himself cause you to be completely dedicated to him and may your spirit, soul, and body be kept intact and blameless at our, as our Lord and Savior Jesus is coming. The one who is calling you is faithful and will do this. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. So uh, last weekend, last Saturday, um, I did a, a wedding. And so here's my little story. Some of y'all asked me because they knew I was actually out, out last Saturday. And uh, Ellen did a great job preaching. I appreciate that. So um, um, my son, Jordan, he um, has a best friend. His name is Roscoe. And he came to me. Roscoe came to me about a year ago and says, um, he doesn't call me Pastor Harold. He doesn't call me Harold. He doesn't call me Mr. Hendren, he doesn't call me Reverend Hendren, he calls me Paul. Because my kids call me Paul. And he came to me and says, Paul, would you be willing to officiate at our Emily and my wedding? And I said, I, uh, Roscoe, I'd be honored. By the way, Roscoe lost his father. Um, I believe he was in high school when his father died. So I, I said, Roscoe, I would, I would love to be able, I'd be honored to do that. So uh, we got the date, and so it was uh, last weekend. And so um, Emily's family owns a farm right behind, actually down right behind Walmart. And um, it's just a beautiful farm. They got cows on it. And so, her, and they had spent literally a year planning for this wedding. And a uh, matter of fact, her, her daddy actually built, well, here's a, a, a barn. There's the barn for the wedding. Matter of fact, this was taken last Thursday night, and so you could see all the chairs, and so um, that's where the reception was. It was beautiful, and um, and so there's the altar. You see the cows in the background, and so it's just a beautiful piece of property, and so, um, so our daddy went to great lengths to make sure that everything was going to be perfect for his princess. It was a country wedding, so he built the barn, he built a little altar, and so, um, so it came time for our, the wedding day um, last Saturday night, 
it was at five o'clock. And so everybody, and there were actually 200 people that were invited to this wedding. And let me tell you, all 200 showed up. The reason why I know that, because I counted. I'm, that's what I do. I count. When I'm bored, I count. And so everybody showed up. Now, I don't think anybody did not show up for this wedding. It was a really big deal. And, and so what I was really just, you know, you know how weddings are. I've done, I've done a lot of weddings. But, you know, I always pay attention um, to the detail, other people's detail. And so what I was impressed by what Emily's family had done for her, their daughter and for Roscoe is that um, like the, the boutonnieres, they were like this big, they gave me one, but it matched perfectly her bouquet. It was perfect. Um, her dad not only built the bar and built the altar where we stood to be able to officiate. No, this was out in the cow pasture where the wedding was. Um, uh, he actually cut the grass at a, at a certain height. So when she walked down the aisle, it was perfect. So the grass was a little higher on one side, but where the aisle was actually a clean mode area for them to walk down the aisle. Um, I, I just want you to know, this was really clever. This really impressed me. About two or three weeks ago, evidently, they took the cows and put them in the other pasture so no one made sure that there was no cow patties around when the bride walked down the aisle. I thought that was really cool, right? Now, that's what I call fake it ahead. I just want you to know that. That was amazing. Okay. Okay, so, so it comes time, you know, they've, they've spent a year preparing this. Her dad's built the bard. They, they've got the altar. She, he's mowed the grass. The cows are in the other pasture, so it's wedding day. Okay, so, uh, so we start the ceremony, and so I, you know, did the opening, you know, dearly beloved, we are gathered together here in the sight of God before these witnesses join together in holy matrimony, this man, this woman, and, um, and so we, we did the opening, and then we, the father gave the bride away, he gives a little kiss on the cheek, and, and then, um, and then it comes to this part of the ceremony that um, I traditionally read First, uh, first, first Corinthians 13. Now, many of y'all have been to weddings. And so, um, and, and so what I, I, before I read it, because I've been teaching on Paul and I learned so much about the Apostle Paul, and especially when it comes to these words of, of faith, hope, and love. And so I, I, I went rogue. I, I went rogue last week when I did the officiating because I, I never had done this before, literally. And, and I looked in the eye and said, let me, before I read this scripture, let me just share with you all, let me just take two minutes and share with you all a little bit of what Paul's talking about in First Corinthians because it's really not about a romantic love. It's, it has everything to do with faith and it has everything to do with love. And, and faith has everything to do with what well, we think not only has to do with fidelity and, and it's, this is not really about sexuality. It really has to do with faithfulness and faithfulness has to do with love and what love has to do with in Paul's context of this teaching as he's talking to the church at Corinth and also talking to the church at Thessalonians and Philippi. It has everything to do with a selfless type of love. Agape love is, is a selfless type of love and it has to do with, as I preached with you all about a week or two ago, a morning to morning type of love, day to day, week to week. It's about being faithful in your love for each other. And um, so I, I share with you all, with them, a little bit about what that text meant. And I, I said, listen, if you don't get anything, I hope that you get that. Because it has to do with realizing every morning when you wake up and you look at each other as a bride and groom, as a husband and wife, as a man and woman, that you have this idea that I'm going to be faithful to my spouse, but I'm going to love her, or I'm going to love him unconditionally, and then I'm going to be selfless, and I'm not going to be selfish, so I said, please, I hope you hear these words. 
Okay, so then we got through that part. I read the scripture, and then, um, so then I, we get to the part where they're taking their marriage vows. And so, um, so I, I turned, um, Roscoe did his merit vows, and Emily did her vows, and then we got to the next part. And the next part has to do with giving and receiving the rings. So we get to the very beginning of the giving and the receiving the rings. And I have a blessing of the rings. I'll hold my hand up and have a, show them the rings. And as I hand Roscoe Emily's ring, I started feeling a little mist. So Roscoe um, takes the ring and slips it onto Emily's finger. This is outdoors. So then, somewhere in that transition, within those 34, 35, 45 seconds, we go from a mist to a slight sprinkle. So I turned to Emily and I said, Emily, here's your ring. And then I realized it was starting to just barely drizzle. And I turned to the congregation. I said, listen, don't panic. It's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. And then I handed Emily Roscoe's ring and she slipped it onto Roscoe's finger. And I had her repeat after me. In token and pledge of our constant faith and abiding love with this ring, I thee wed. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the midst of all that, it started to pour. <laughs> I mean buckets. Last Saturday at 522, it didn't rain anywhere in the villages except right here. It was right down the street. And so literally by the time I finished with those, with those rings, we were all literally getting drenched. And I've never had that happen in 32 years in my ministry. And literally, as Emily was putting the ring on Roscoe's finger, she was speeding up and, and token a pledge of our constant faith and abiding love with this ring. I we went in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And then I pronounced him husband and wife and I said, let's run to the barn. And that is a true story, right? <laughs> I can't make this up. Okay, so here's my wish with you all today about. I learned three really I think key things from that wedding that I never had learned before from the experience. And I would call them life lessons. So, um, so the first life lesson is when it rains on your wedding, always look for the rainbow. Because I'm telling you what's amazing, the rainbow came out. It poured for about 15 minutes. And all of a sudden, at the End of about, about, a, about a half an hour later, all of a sudden I saw a beautiful rainbow, which is just kind of a, a basic lesson of life, isn't it? That sometimes life doesn't always go according to plan. Can be amen on that? And, and so you have your kind of vision of what you want to do with maybe with your life or, you know, and, and situations in life. And then sometimes they just don't always work out the way that you had planned. But yet, I love that that text from the Paul when he talks to the Romans eight twenty eight. You know, God can take just about anything, take anything, and work it to the good for the, those who believe in Him. So sometimes life it can rain on your parade, but you know, it, if you look for a rainbow, there can still be something positive that comes out of it. Uh, um, the second thing that I learned about from this wedding is that either you can laugh or you can be livid. I mean, sometimes you just have to have a laugh, you know, you just have to have a, uh, you just have to laugh at life because, you know, I, I don't know how many times, I mean, let me tell you something. Sometimes you just don't take life too seriously. I mean, because she could have been just completely just 
uh, I'm just blown away. She could have been distraught. Poor Emily. She had planned this wedding for a, a whole year. Everything was perfect. And then she could have just crumbled right there, but she didn't. Matter of fact, did I show you a picture of Roscoe and Emily? Here's a picture of them. There they are. Aren't they just beautiful? Literally, when, when, Ro, when she skipped, put the ring on his finger and it started pouring, and I said, let's just all run to the barn, he picked her up and carried her to the barn so she wouldn't mess up her wedding gown. Oh, isn't that amazing? What a guy. I love that Roscoe. So, so you can either laugh or you can be livid. Once again, it's one of those life lessons in life. I mean, sometimes life doesn't go out the way that you plan. And sometimes you just have a sense of humor. And you just kind of have to, once again, you just maybe life. You don't take life too seriously. And here's the third thing that I, I learned. And I think this is really important. And it has everything to do with having a meaningful marriage. Because I, I literally had my little my little ritual and I'm, I'm holding my little ritual and, I'm, and the water is pounding on my ritual. And, and this is what rain may soak the vowels on the paper, but the words can still sink deeply into your heart. And what, what I mean by that is, you know, I gave them in that little, when I went rogue and reading 1 Corinthians 13, Last Saturday night, what I had shared with them, I said, listen, if you don't get anything, I hope that you'll get this. Because I gave them the true meaning of having a meaningful life together. By explaining to them their vows. By explaining to them what Paul really meant when he talks about faith, hope, love, abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Right? So then I started thinking this week. Um, the, the idea of having a meaningful life, okay? And, and so um, if you go back to the Old Testament, according to the Jewish tradition, so let me just teach for a second, a meaningful life had everything to do with adhering to the law, okay? So the Jewish people had 613 laws. Try to, good luck on that, right? Trying to hold true to all those laws, 613. And, and so then Jesus comes along in the New Testament and he gives us a whole new way of trying to be obedient to the law. And he, he has this conversation one day with the Pharisees. And he says, listen, hey, I want you to know that um, uh, we're supposed to love the Lord God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Then he goes on and says, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, and by the way, all the laws, the prophet, hang on those two. And then Jesus does something really bold in the gospel of John. And he's talking to his disciples. Okay, so let me give you the context. So when he's talking to his disciples, uh, where is he? He's in the upper room. Now, on John, we don't have the Holy Eucharist. We don't have the communion that we have in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, like we have described in the Gospels. But in John, what we have that the other threes don't have is foot washing. So, you know, John's writing a little different audiences. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are writing to their different audiences. So, you know, this has everything to do with, you know, being a servant and how do you, what does it mean to love one another? And so then Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, listen, I give you a brand new command. And he says, listen, this is what you must do. I'm paraphrasing, but you got to do this. If you don't do anything right, you got to do this. He says, love just as I have loved you, Jesus. And what I love about that is that, you know what, there aren't any loopholes in that. You can't, 
you, 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 you can't um, undo that. This is, this is the truth that Jesus says. So, so you start with the 613, then it get whittled, gets whittled down to um, love God and love your neighbor. And then Jesus says, hey, listen, I give you a brand new command. Love just as I have taught you to love. I got my little visual aid up here. Uh, it's a cop, you know, Mr. Coffee Maker guy thing here. And you know, you have, you know, you, you, what you do is you have this little thing here, you, and then you put the coffee in there. Well, be, you got, before you put the coffee in, you got to be able to have one of these, right? A little filter. And you put the filter in there and you close it all up and you hit the button, the water runs through it and it does its thing. Everybody with me? You all familiar with the coffee? But listen, you've got, you got to have one of these babies. Because if you don't have a filter, you're going to have a big mess. And so here's the beautiful thing. I, I, I love this kind of analogy today that I, I look at, I think that Jesus is saying to all of us, he says, I'm giving you the filter. And the filter is this. Love God and love your neighbor. But then he also it takes it to a whole new level and says, let's filter, if you want a really truly meaningful life, love just as I have taught you. To love. I could just imagine, you know, Jesus turned to disciples and saying, okay, guys, let that soak in for a minute. So um, I, someone recently, uh, I can't remember who it sent, people send me stuff all the time, and they sent me this little video, and um, I thought it was actually pretty good. Um, it's of Lou Holtz. Anybody hear Lou Holtz? Matter of fact, Lou Holtz was here. He spoke at a men's, uh, men's uh, uh, kind of did a men's devotion one day for us. He was, I, I really appreciated him. He is just a very transparent person. He's a humble person. And, and so Lou Holtz was doing um, a graduation address um, uh, a few years ago. And so we took his whole graduation address and it's been whittled down to about a minute and 30 seconds. So I... I, I Watch that video, and I thought, man, that is actually pretty good. I can use that. So here, watch this. Here's Lou Holtz on the, well, the meaning of life. All right, so listen. So Lou Holtz shared in this address about really the meaning of life. And every, if you want to have a purpose in life and you want to have a meaningful life, everyone needs something to do. Everyone needs someone to love. Everyone needs someone to believe in. And everyone needs something to hope for. Did you catch that? Four things. So then I took that and little what Lou Holtz talked about in that little video. And then I ran him through the filter of the Apostle Paul. And so for First Thessalonians. And so this is what Paul would say if you took those four things. Everyone needs something to do. And what Paul and the theme that we have for the Apostle Paul in First Thessalonians is everybody needs something to do. And he says remain faithful. That's what you need to do. Remain faithful to Jesus Christ. I know that there are people who are throwing me into the bus. I know people are calling your, your, your faith into question. I, I know that it's easy to fall into the trap of hedonism and what the Roman culture says that you should do. And hedonism has everything to do with, you know, to be able to have the most, gain the most pleasure without the least amount of pain. And to be able to, once again, it's about honor in that system, about rising up and you know, it's really not about caring up for other people. It's about yourself. It's all about me and the heat in the Roman culture. Paul says, listen, don't bind to the lie. Paul says, if you want something to do, remain faithful. And then he says, hey, listen, if you really want someone to well, love, then he says, you know what you should do is just love each other. Even love the ones who, as Jesus who put it, even love the ones who persecute you, right? And then, and then um, 
Paul would say, not only do we need to, well, something to do, we need someone to love, but he says, you need someone to believe in. And Paul says, listen, believe in Jesus Christ. Just as Lee Holt said in his little, his little um, speaking to this uh, commencement address, he says, I believe in Jesus Christ. Everybody needs something to believe in. And what Paul would say, the same thing. He says, listen, hold on to your faith. You, this is what you're supposed to do, but continue to believe and to be able to love Jesus Christ. And then at the very end, he would, everybody needs something to hope for. And so to hope for what Paul would teach, everyone needs to hope for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because once again, he, the, 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 the people in Thessaloniki were all freaking out because they were thinking that, you know, their loved ones were dying and Jesus hadn't come back and they were worried about their eternal life. And, and so Paul was trying to put that at rest and once again, teach them and says, listen, if Jesus doesn't come in this lifetime, Listen, you still have the hope of the resurrection. Can amen on that? So what's, what's interesting about that, you can take those four things and you run through the filter of the Apostle Paul and they're crystal clear, aren't they? Everyone seems, needs something to, to think, to do. Everyone seems, needs someone to, to love. Everyone needs someone to believe in and everyone needs something to hope for. They're all there. First Thessalonians. And what's interesting um, this week is uh, the scripture that I read is we're kind of wrapping up this sermon series. Um, Paul makes it very clear once again about a meaningful life. And he talks about this. He says, hang on to what's good and avoid evil. In other words, this is what he says in First Thessalonians. He says, but examine everything carefully. Hang on to what is good. Avoid evil of every kind. And so I started to think about this because what, what is Paul talking about? And so um, I, I was putting my thinking cap on and when you think about what Paul is trying to refer to is listen you you have to use your noggin you got to be able to use your mind and you got to discern what's what's right and what's wrong what is good and what's evil what people are teaching you and what are you really going to buy into because listen what the people are trying to to tell you something and really maybe you need to use your noggin to make sure that they're telling you the truth because they listen I'm not lying to you I know that they're trying to throw me in the bus. I know, I know they're trying to discredit me. But listen, what I'm sharing you with you is the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. So you have to kind of check and make sure that, once again, you use your discernment. Now listen, wait, as we think about our lives, we, we have what I would call, we have, we have the Bible, right? And so this is the authority of, of God. This is the authority of, of God's word. And there's no dispute in that. And so what comes in, well, as we think about our society today, what, what people say there's a controversy is really about is how you want to discern it. That's why we have so many denominations, right? And we, we look at scripture a little differently than maybe when my brother or sister, some people may be a little bit more liberal and or some people are more conservative. Some people look at the Bible and, and so we, we, we can agree to maybe disagree and say, so I might interpret it one way. And so what I, I do, I try to be legitimate and to be authentic, but also I, I, I do some fact finding. You know, if I'm going to present you some information, I, I do my research on, on sources that I feel like are legitimate sources. They're, they're not just, just kind of crazy stuff. I would never do that to you all. So, you know, I went to seminary, I got my education, and so I use really good references and resources that I think are legitimate that really kind of pass through the filter. And so we all have, Wesley, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, say, listen, we, we got four things we use to be able to discern how we want to um, interpret the scripture and how we want to continue to grow in our faith and, and trying to find the true meaning of life and the true meaning and purpose of life and following Jesus Christ. And he says, it's, it's scripture, it's tradition, it's experience, and it's reason. Do you get that? 
scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. And reason has everything to do is you got to use your noggin. You got to use your mind. And sometimes somebody would tell you something and maybe, you know, that doesn't really doesn't that. I, I don't know if I really believe that. For example, um, good theology, bad theology. I was watching a documentary the other day and it really caught my attention because I lived through this and you all lived through it too. And it was of, of Jimmy and uh, Tammy Faye Baker. Okay, and so, uh, you know, Tammy Faye, she passed away a few years ago um, of cancer. And then Jimmy um, was, did some time in the federal penitentiary. Um, and then he's out again. He's back on, actually on TV again. And now listen, here's the interesting thing about Jimmy and Tammy Faye when it came to their theology. Their theology was really what they call prosperity gospel. Okay, so I looked at prosperity gospel this week and what they call prosperity theology. And so this is the basics of the, of the theology. If you give your money to God, God will bless you with more money. Let that sink in. And so, so prosperity gospel is, um, it's, it's called uh, health and wealth gospel, gospel success, or seed faith is what it's called. And so I, you know, I, I go and I've read the scripture and I have read the commentaries and I have come to the conclusion that I never found anywhere in the Bible that Jesus said, what's in this for me? I, I never saw that. I, help me if I've, I missed that somewhere in the Bible, but I, I never saw in any of the gospel, in fact, Jesus was the opposite of that uh, as I interpret the Bible and as God's giving me some knowledge to be able to read the scripture and discern for myself. Matter of fact, this is what Jesus did. He went the opposite direction because once upon a time that Jesus is about to be embark on his, on his journey of the next three years of his life and the end of the journey, they were gonna nail him to a cross. Okay, so, but it started out where? In the desert. So, at the end of the 40 days, the devil comes to him and he tips him, tempts him in three different ways. And the third temptation, you know what the third temptation was? He takes him up to the top of this big mountain and says to Jesus, Jesus, if you'll just bow down, you can have all this. If you just bow down to me, you can have all this. And Jesus, instead of choosing prosperity, Jesus chose piety. Let that sink in. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say what's in it for me. Let's be real clear about that. So I, I just gave you an example of, you know, how we look at the Bible and what Paul says, hey, listen, you know, when you look at the scripture lesson and we have to use your knowledge, but he also says, hey, listen, very good. Hang on to what is good and avoid, avoid evil. Now, I thought this was really interesting because sometimes you have to be really aware of really bad information, okay? So here's a thought. Um, did you know that Facebook had problems this last week? <laughs> there was a big deal. Now listen, I could care less. You know why? Because I don't do Facebook. Matter of fact, I don't even know how to do tweeting. The only tweeting I know was the tweet I heard this morning on my early morning run. That's the only tweet I know how to tweet, right? But so what's interesting is, you know, Facebook went down, Instagram went down, all that went down, freaked a bunch of people out. And so, you know, I, I found this as an interesting statistic that 
70% that's what was tweeted, this is what I heard this last week, read, 70% it's what's tweeted on all this information out there is false information. It's bad information. People put all this information out there and it's really not legitimate information. We've seen this over and over again, right? You gotta be really careful of what you buy into. I I thought this was really interesting because see, throughout history, I love history, is that um, sometimes pastors can take the scriptures and interpret one way and use it in a manipulative way. For example, I read this this last week. I was reading a story about um, uh, uh, Howard Thurman. And Howard Thurman, matter of fact, I think I get a picture of Howard Thurman. Howard Thurman was, um, no, that's, that, that's J. Paul Getty. That is not Howard Thurman. There's Howard Thurman. Okay. And this is a picture of Howard Thurman. Howard, Howard Thurman says, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. This guy, Howard Thurman, was um, instrumental in mentoring Martin Luther King. He was a big deal. He was a great theologian. He was a great pastor. He was born in Daytona Beach, Florida. His grandmother, her name was Nancy Ambrose. And um, Mrs. Ambrose lived in Madison, Florida, which is just west of Tallahassee. And she was a slave. So Howard Thurman, her, his grandmother, uh, lived and uh, well, and the, and the slave master would allow the slaves to have church. But he would not allow the slaves to have a black pastor. The slave master would bring in his own pastor, a white pastor, and to preach to the slaves. And so um, this is how, how Nancy Ambrose described the teaching because the slave owner would use a text like this. Slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. And so the white slave master brought in his white pastor and to preach on this text. And so um, Nancy Ambrose said this, I promised my maker that if I ever learned how to read and if freedom ever came for me, I would not read that part of the Bible again. Can you imagine? So I, 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 I was thinking this last week and I'll wrap this up because I, I know that you're all saying land a plane, land a plane. And um, so here, here's, here's my last little thought. Um, and I think this is really important. Y'all still with me? Everybody's still with me? Okay. So um, here when it comes to life, and I want you to hear my heart here, okay? So I'm, I'm just preaching to you. I'm, I'm, I've been honored to be your senior pastor for the last 10 years. I, I look forward to continue to serve you. But when we think about our life and what Jesus teaches us is he gives us this filter to run through about loving God and loving our neighbor and to love just as I have taught you to love. So when you anyway, look at scripture and you can look at it and say, okay, well, how do I interpret this? And the idea of slaves, would Jesus be for slavery? Of course not, because it doesn't go through that filter, right? Because there's nothing about our history about American slavery had anything to do with being something good for the slaves. It was awful how they were treated, right? So Jesus said, that was, that's a really bad idea. 
Or how about, here's another one. How about the idea about women in the church, right? For many, for, for centuries, women are allowed, you know, to be in a subordinate, submissive role, right? But in the Methodist church, we've used our noggins and we've, you know, we think that, of course, God can still call women to be a part of our church. My wife is actually preaching right now. Um, my, my boss is a female, right? And, and I've had a, uh, uh, and, and so there's women bishops in the Methodist church. And so once again, what does Wesley say? Wesley talks about, you know, the idea of, of scripture and tradition and experience and reason. Uh, um, here, here's another one. Um, how about the idea of divorce? I mean, once again, um, Bishop Carter has shared this story numerous times. Um, he said, you know what, when he was a little boy, he, had, he was going to another church. It wasn't a Methodist church. It was another church. And when his mother went through a divorce, they told her to leave. So they left that church and they went to a Methodist church. And they accepted him. How about people who are gay? Uh, true story. I'll share this with you. Um, one day, um, a gentleman came to my office and said, Harold, you know, he says, I, I'm gay. I have a partner. He says, before I come to your church, I just need to know, will, will you welcome me? And, and will your church welcome me? And I, I, I said, absolutely. I will welcome you. I want you to come. And I feel confident that my church will also. Because we claim that we're a church, a place to call home. Can we amen on that? Okay. And so here's the interesting thing. You ready? So he invited me and my wife to come to dinner. He said, Pastor, will you come to dinner? I said, absolutely. I'll come to your house and have dinner. You know, here's, here's the interesting thing, is that, you know, why would I think that I could offer him the Holy Eucharist and have him to come to the Lord's table, but I wouldn't go to his table? Just a thought. So when we, when we think about who we are as Methodists and who we are as Christians and who we are as brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ and who we are at New Covenant United Methodist Church, a place to call home, God's given us this ability to be able to, to use scripture and tradition and experience and reason. But he also says, listen, I, I'm going to tell you straight up. And Jesus said this to his disciples in the upper room. They're going to crucify him tomorrow. He knows that. So let me tell you something that's really, really important. Jesus says, love, you must do this. It's, it's non-negotiable. You must love as I have taught you to love. It tastes today a little like wine. Amen. <laughs>